right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. I wish I was about to tell you that you're going to hear a full episode debriefing the Safeway Open. Harry Higgs made a great run. What? Stuart Sink, man, I don't like rooting against him, but I feel like he does this at all the wrong times. Very happy for Stuart Sink, uh, a win on the PGA Tour at age 47. Very impressive. Thought we were getting a mega podcast bump out of Harry Higgs. I'd be lying if I said we got to watch any golf this weekend. We had an event planned at Sweetens Cove um, long before anything got rescheduled to this week. We missed the whole A&A inspiration. We missed the Formula One race. We missed everything this weekend. We were out playing with a bunch of refugees from a lot of different parts of the country, people that have uh, you know signed up to be a part of our event system. So many of our events got canceled this year, and we were so happy to uh, gather a bunch of people at Sweetens Cove and play a lot of golf and have a lot of t- a lot of fun. Regrettably, that meant we missed a lot of golf this weekend. I'm sure there's many other podcasts you can check into to to get a full debrief on the professional golf this weekend. What we have today is an interview with Jim Furyk. We're going to talk a little bit about Wingfoot, talk about the U.S. Open this year, his runs at U.S. Open, what made him such a great U.S. Open player. I've gotten to know Jim a little bit over the last couple months. Great dude to talk to, just a super interesting guy. For for a long period of time, I, I, I guess I just didn't consider him interesting before I ever listened to ever, anything he had to say, and uh, there's a lot in this interview. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before we get going, go to Callaway Golf's Instagram, at Callaway Golf. There's a giveaway. There's a awesome, just a, a golf bag. I don't know how to describe it. It just pops. A USA golf bag, like kind of floral, Statue of Liberty, bright colors, design. You can make it yours. You can enter to win this bag. Go and follow the Callaway Golf Instagram. Like the post. Tag three friends. The contest ends Saturday, September 19th at midnight Pacific time. One winner will be selected at random and will win the Callaway Golf Limited Edition staff bag. You might need to get in there. There's like 7,400 comments as I go to uh, record this uh, little intro here. Also, go to CallawayGolf.com. You can subscribe to an email list for a chance to win a Callaway Maverick driver signed belt by Phil Mickelson himself. So uh, without any further delay, as we roll into U.S. Open Week, we're going to have a full U.S. Open preview coming out later this week. But here is Jim Furyk talking about a myriad of things, some good Ryder Cup stuff here, uh, a lot of good stuff within this. But uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you soon. Cheers. So do I introduce you as uh, Champions Tour player Jim Furyk or PGA Tour player Jim Furyk? What's your answer to that? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Very good question. You know, I probably got 600 and some starts on the PJ Tour, one on the Champions Tour. So you, you figured it out. You do it the way you want. Well, I was saying you should just retire from the Champions Tour. You win your first start, just like just a complete walk off. Yeah, it's only going downhill for here, for for you know percentage wise from here. But uh, no, I think um, to and to be serious and answer your question, uh, I'm going to play a little bit on the PJ Tour uh, this next season. I'm going to start the year at Napa. I feel myself transferring over and being a little bit more of a full-time PGA Tour Champions player for a number of different reasons. There's still some courses I love. I mean, I love Innisbrook and the Valspar, Hilton Head, the RBC Heritage. Uh, that golf course is phenomenal. So there'll still be places I'll pick and choose. I like Colonial, but I see that it's also opposite the senior PGA next year. So I've been kind of looking at the schedule, and and I, I've always said all along that I really don't want to go 50-50. I don't want to cut my time, and I don't care what tour you're playing on. There's enough talent on either tour that playing half a season, you're not going to get a lot done or do a lot of damage. So uh, I think I'm going to 
probably focus my efforts on the Champions Tour and cherry pick some events on the uh, on the PGA Tour. Well, at the media day this week for uh, your tournament, which we can get into here in a second, but uh, you and Davis Love kind of pointed out the crop of guys that is currently coming up to PGA Tour champions. And I got to admit, I hadn't really thought of it that that way until you spelled it out exactly how good the competitions is getting out there. But you seem you seem very excited and eager to get out there. Yeah, and I don't want to cut the guys short that are already out there. I don't want to ruffle any feathers before (laughs) I start playing full time. There's a lot of talent already there, but you look at uh, you know Ratif and Ernie just came out. You got you know. Phil just turned 50. I turned 50. Mike Weir and I share the same birthday. KJ Choi. I uh, just saw Rich Beam played his first event. And you've got a slew of others on the way. Duvall's pretty soon. Justin Leonard. Big Cat's only about five years away. Uh, <laughs> that receding hairline, it looks like he's going to turn 50 next year. But uh, I know he's about five years younger than me. Do you think he'll play out there? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You know, let's put it this way. Five years ago, I'll ask this question. Did you think Phil was going to play on the Champions Tour? I don't think he's going to play. No, but what did much? it look like five yeah. years ago? Yeah, it yeah, looked a, good, a lot less yeah. bright than sure. now. You see him come out, and he's got a little hole in his schedule, and he wants to get sharp, and yep. he's playing good. He finds a course he likes, and he's talking about playing later on this fall. So is he going to play full-time? No. You right. know, he's, he's still hitting his bombs, and he still wants to play the, the tour and extend that career. But mm-hmm. the fact that he'll come out and play some on the Champions Tour now, and then you know, little by little I think he'll add more and more to that because yeah. he likes to compete. What what is the uh, the competitive spirit of it like? I mean, what is it? I guess just kind of talk to me about your transition and why that is appealing to you. From is it from a competitive standpoint? Is it? You know, I I, I still think I can compete on the BJ Tour. I sure. made a good run at the at the Players last year. Now it's kind of you always have your favorite courses, the ones you think you have the best odds to compete on throughout your career, and the number of courses that I have that opportunity on is dwindling. And sure. I'll pick a. A golf course like Charlotte, you know, Quail Hollow, great golf course, was one of my favorites on tour. One there, I think two other second places, if place finishes. It's just, it's gotten longer. I've gotten a lot shorter relative to the field. I still hit the ball the same distance. My percentages of being able to win there have significantly decreased and to the point where I almost felt like, you know, I'm, I'm wasting my time going to this venue. I need to start picking other places that I can compete at. And so when I look at the length of the golf courses on the Champions Tour, they're not short. They're over 7,000 yards. We played Warwick Hills at the Ally from the same exact tees uh, on 17 of the 18 holes uh, as we did the last time I played there in 2009. I, I hit the ball the same distance as I did in 09, so it was like I never left. It was, you know, I was hitting the same shots. But we're not playing 7,600-yard golf courses, and I'm not playing against guy, you know, where uh, the majority of the field can hit it you know, somewhere between 298 and 302. You know, I'm not giving up a lot of extra yards, and, and I'm a little above average out there for driving distance. So that's what I was going to uh, ask. It's kind you? of fun. You know, how long <laughs> has it been since I've been above average in driving distance? You know, maybe, maybe since like my first, you know, seven years on tour. So I miss some friends out there. I know it's a little bit more relaxed, but I saw a lot of guys practicing, beating balls, working on their short game, putting. I mean, the guys are competitive, and they shoot yeah. low, low, low numbers. They shoot. You know, you don't shoot 15 under par. You, you know, you really don't have any business or any chance to win. And and it's a it's a it's a track meet every week. It's a three round track meet. Yeah. How different is your game currently at age fifty than say the best the best time of your career? I mean, we just played today. You just shot sixty six. There doesn't seem to be any decline in, in my eyes. You won your first start on the Champions Tour. Is it the game has just evolved some from a competitive standpoint from distance, or you know, I just kind of want to compare and contrast. You know, how the best you ever played versus how yeah, it is today. I would say. I mean, are we, are we saying right this second? Are we saying, oh, look at this in season? General, this season, general. I didn't have a very good 
season from around the greens. So if you look at my shots game putting, if you look at my getting the ball up and down numbers, uh, some of those were actually quite poor. Uh, that was a strength throughout my career. I need to put in a little more time on my, I think, my equipment. And more importantly, i got to put a little more time in on my technique and the way I get it around around the greens. I feel like I've uh, I've kind of started, I've changed my putting here in the last couple of months. I'm now not left-hand low or cross-handed. I'm back shouldn't even say back to conventional. I'm starting conventional pretty much for the first time in my career. I feel very comfortable with the putter. I'm rolling the ball uh, well, so just got to put a little time on my short game. I mean, how much has my game changed? You know, I, I when I first came on tour, I was a very average ball striker, and I kind of worked myself in my first 10 years on tour, I kind of worked myself into becoming a very good ball striker by PGA Tour standards. Um, and I had a really good ball striking uh, the last two seasons, I guess 19... 20 and 18 19 I had two very very good ball striking seasons and you know this year I mean you look at my if you look at my you know percentage hit fairways and actually even look at percentage hit greens it's 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 pretty surprising I still hit the ball well enough but I'm not getting the ball in the hole and and I'm just giving up a ton of distance if that makes sense you know now Mm -hmm. I started looking at like started looking at stats through the mid to late part of this year and I really believe like the average guys on tour, I threw out that number before, 298 to 302. The bulk of the tour kind of sits in those numbers. I'm averaging 281, so I'm giving up at least 17 yards to kind of that average length. I, you know, the longest I was in my career was 282. <laughs> but the average guy hit it like 288 or 289. I was giving up six or seven yards to the average then. You know, early in my career, I wasn't giving up any. And so, you know, I, I'm still a good ball striker and a good iron player, but, you know, from the average guy, I'm giving up, you know, pretty much two clubs from the middle of the fairway. That adds uh, up. The Bombers, I'm giving up even a lot more. So there's courses, you know. Uh, Harbortown can still compete. You know, Valspar, when fairways are important, when you don't have to bomb it, when, when guys are even limited off the tee on some of those golf courses, and it's more about placement, um, I still think I have some chances. But there's, you know, it's farther and fewer between, and, Golf course setup has changed. Equipment's changed. The, the game really has changed. And I think, uh, you know, I, don't, I hope no one paints me as that old, bitter guy that says the game's changing. It's fun. I mean, those your viewers out there, the ones that love golf, the ones that listen to your show, I mean, it's golf's in a great great place right now. It's fun to watch. It's exciting. It's just different, you mm-hmm. know. And, and when I grew up, it was different from Nicholas's heyday as well. It's just everything changes and evolves, and the best players do with it. I'm just getting maybe a little old to, uh, to change my style. Well, What's interesting though is when I go back and you know getting to know you a little bit, it's it's weird when like there's old highlights on TV, right? And just one that I don't even remember you being in contention of a master, ninety-seven masters. Your name's on the front of the leaderboard. Like your your career spanned generations, and and when it when the distance boom came in the two thousands, and it's it's slowly evolving to the point where it's very streamlined now. I think people have so much more data and know exactly what the value of it is, but. So many guys similar, similar-ish playing style to you did not have sustained success for 15, 20 years after you know the golf ball changed around 2000. Right, but there was guy. I mean, look at a guy like Fred Funk. I mean, here's a guy who he hit it shorter than I did. Yeah. Um, and straighter. I mean, a guy, guy, uh, one of the straightest players of all time. But uh, you know, he he made like a Presidents Cup team in his late 40s, 48, 49 years old. I, I think. If the heart's there, if um, you know the the work ethics there, if a guy's willing to put the time in, I think you also see a little fall off from some guys in their say mid forties. Just life changes as well. Your kids are at a certain age. Your priorities change. Um, maybe you're not putting as much time into the game. To 
you know, look at like maybe Kenny Perry, where family is very important to the Perrys, and and he's a wonderful man. And his game kind of through his late 30s, early 40s kind of faded a little bit, right? And his kids were kind of at that age where they're growing up and, you know, they went off to college and then and, and Kenny's early to mid-40s. He all of a sudden turned it around, started putting the work in, and, uh, you know, he was a top top 10 player in the world. Won a bunch of events, played on a bunch of President's Cup teams, Ryder Cup team, um, you know, just had a really late run. Now he's also a guy that's big and strong and bombs the ball, but uh, – I think a lot of it's where you're at in your life, and a lot of folks put so much effort into their their game and and uh, kind of getting and climbing that mountain, and they do it for 20 years, and and then just other things take sure. take priority as they should. That's as I get older, you know, I, I you know five six years ago, if you just said you know you had 600 career starts, I've been like, oh cool, like that is he's super competitive. Now I hear 600 starts, I'm like, wow, 600 weeks on the road away from family's got to be yeah. just super challenging. I mean, it's I, it's a tough balance. I think it's it's and it's a balance that we all struggle with. And and uh, I sought the help. I mean, my my wife and my dad kind of gave me their input and how they felt I should handle it and. It sometimes it's tough taking advice from those who you, you love the most. I kind of sought advice at our media day for our event. You heard me say that uh, I asked Davis for Bob Rotella's number. That really wasn't as much about, it really wasn't anything about golf. It wasn't anything about I need help in my game room and middle frame on the course. It was a lot more about life. You know, I felt that my mind was wandering, that uh, I put the key in the ignition in, in the driveway and I was leaving two young kids at home and Tabitha was, you know, holding down the fort and, and I was kind of, my early 40s to 44, I was thinking, is this really worth it? Is this what I want to do? Could it, should I just turn the ignition off and walk back in the house and, and take the week off? And uh, when you do that, uh, I was able to play well at times, but I was I was miserable yeah. I mean, on the golf course. Um, and I just I don't like being a miserable person. It's there's, Life's too short. So, uh, you know, I went to Doc and, and talked to him a little bit about how to – you know what I should do and he kind of laughed he's like you know you're not the first person I've had this conversation with you know in fact take a number it's it's been a, a ton of people and and so we kind of started cutting my 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 season short it's taking lumps you know three and four months off in the fall playing fewer events you know I was worried that by playing fewer events I wouldn't play well but he said what's going to happen is you're going to play better because mm-hmm. you're going to get in a better frame of mind you're going to enjoy being out there and competing and when you do that you'll play better and he was right. It just kind of sometimes takes a stranger. You know, my wife said the same thing. My dad said the same thing. But total stranger says it to you, and it kind of slaps you uh, across the face. And I just learned to manage my time a little bit better, and I got got a chance. And because I have a wonderful wife and a wonderful family, I got a chance to kind of do a little bit of everything and still play in a career and, and still feel like uh, I was a husband and a father. Well, I was getting ready to ask what made you kind of want to start your own golf tournament but now i understand it you just wanted something that was local <laughs> <laughs> well yeah there's a there's a number of different reasons and and we've had a ton of support so my wife and i started i had a great season in 2010 and we were involved in in different charities and different charities here in the in the greater jacksonville area northeast florida and we just felt like the timing was right we always talked about starting our own foundation and we just had that platform and end of 2010 we launched the jim and tab of the Furick foundation we had our our big fundraiser for 10 years has been our Furick and Friends. It's a celebrity professional golf classic. There's a concert involved. I like to, you know, we always tell people, and I, I say it over and over again, it, it entails the things that we enjoy the most. Like Tabitha and I love tailgating and football games and fun. So our event is about food. It's about drinks. It's about golf. 
music, but really on all of it, we want to make sure everyone has a good time. And golf's just a vehicle. It is definitely not the most important part of our event. But as I get older, as I, I get closer to 50, uh, we've had the event now for 10 years. Or, you know, we got it to where it was raising a half a million dollars a year. But I was worried about the future of that event. You know, what happens when I'm 55? What happens when I'm 60? What happens when it's going to be hard to go to the PGA Tour and bring folks to come and play? And plus, I'm asking the same guys, right. you know, my friends, every year to come out and play the event. Uh, and thankfully, they did. But, you know, what, what's the future? And so uh, we kind of looked around. I saw Steve Stricker was hosting the AmFam. Good buddy Davis Love has the RSM up the road in Sea Island. And I uh, started thinking about it. I was like, do you think, I wonder if we could talk to the tour and maybe this could morph into a PGA Tour Champions event. You know, it was funny, about the time we were thinking it, the Corn Ferry Tour Championship moved to Indiana. And I was like, well, that you know, that's definitely got to help. I had dinner with Jay Monahan one night. We kind of asked the question. You could tell it was a total surprise. Uh, and we got some support, you know, planted in uh, Miller Brady's office who runs the Champions Tour. And he thought about it for a while and said, I think we can make it work. And, and so, you know, the, kind of the, the pressure was on us. You know, it was our, our job to go find a title sponsor. Talked a lot about the venue, and we, we I think, got very lucky to, to end up here at Timaquana Country Club. And uh, we found a great sponsor in Constellation Energy, who's been a long, long-time partner of mine. So, And they have a big history in golf, both with uh, the PGA Tour and the PGA of America. So they're coming back to the tour. Uh, they sponsored the uh, senior players for a number of years, and, and now they're going to – Constellation's going to help – you know, help us build a, an event together, you know, something that we can do together. And, and with that, the goal is obviously to, uh, to be able to get more of our community involved, whether that's through, you know, corporate hospitality, volunteering, pro-ams, uh, just coming out and buying a ticket and having fun because we're going to set up, I mean, we're going to have basically what we call the tailgate village. Uh, it's October, so this is football season. We've got 21. college of, of 21. 21. It's important so to know for October five or 21. Seasons. So <laughs> this is, this is college football time. This is pro football time. We're going to have a, uh, you know, we, we realize golf sometimes is a secondary vehicle. We want folks out here and, and having a good time. And with that, we're going to be able to raise a lot more money. And, and, uh, and we're going to be huge. You know, we were talking to Davis. You know, RSM is kind of the smallest venue, the smallest golf tournament on the PGA Tour. And, you know, he said the other, other night, I thought it was amazing that, you know, it brings 8 to $10 million of revenue to Sea Island that wouldn't normally be there. He said it's like having another Florida Georgia weekend in Sea Island. So the businesses there, the folks there really enjoy it. And we can do the same for the city of Jacksonville. Our city's pretty amazing. And I think uh, maybe underappreciated, oh, if that makes sure. sense, with the river. And a lot of folks that, you know, a lot of the players ask me about the course and then where will I stay? And I said, you're going to stay downtown. And it's amazing how many PGA Tour players that have played the tour since they were, you know, 20, 20 to 25 years old will say, Huh, I've never been downtown Jacksonville. <laughs> I've almost never been downtown Jacksonville. I understand. See, I, I and now I live I live in San Marco, so I'm I kind of I'm a I guess a townie now and and uh, I really enjoy, you know, the communities around city itself and the communities around the Riverside, Avondale, San Marco, Ortega. I mean, there's so many wonderful places. We hope to uh to kind of showcase Jacksonville and also utilize the St. John's River quite a bit. It's beautiful. Sure. I'm hoping to just set up a, a podcast studio in the clubhouse somewhere and just have a revolving door of guys because yeah, yeah. that's where the best interviews We probably go. won't charge you too much. We'll probably make a good I'll pay. deal. I'll pay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll make a, a donation to the foundation, whatever whatever you'd like. Uh, what makes this golf course a good fit for, for PGA Tour champions? Well, one, I think it's a great golf course. Um, it's always one that I've admired, one that I wanted to always, I'd always you know, live in across town. It's, it's amazing. You, know, you got the ditch here in Jacksonville, and 
if you live at the beach, you rarely go town. If you live at town, you rarely go back to the beach. You know, it's it's a town that's almost kind of split in half. And that 45-minute drive over here from, say, uh, TPC at Sawgrass uh, seems like it, it's like going to Tallahassee, really. I mean, for for someone that lives in Ponte Vedra. So, as soon as I moved to town, I wanted to join Tim Aquana just because I think it's a world-class golf course. Um, it's an old Donald Ross. They did a good job restoring it. You got the push-up turtleback greens. Better have a short, you know, a very sharp short game like yourself. As a matter of fact, it's just got that that tree-lined. It's about placement, and it's it's long enough. It's over seven thousand yards, so it's long enough. I think it lends itself. You know, they had a USGA events here. They had the senior amateur. They had the ladies four ball. You know, you're going to put a PGA Tour event on a, a seven thousand yard long golf course? No, but uh, it kind of plays perfectly for a uh, PGA Tour Champions event and I think the guys are going to love the golf course and I think uh, Tim Aquana is like one of those sleepy golf courses that if you know if you know and love golf courses you know it's kind of a little bit of a hidden gem hopefully uh, hopefully not in a bad way that we kind of get the word out that this is a, uh, a fantastic say, golf course you need to be quiet and sometimes sleepy is good but uh, it is a wonderful golf course and I think it's going to show great is Phil going to play I hope so. I hope so. I, you know, calling in favor. What will Phil one. do next? So <laughs> we would love to have him. We'll see when it is in the season. What uh, I want to see next year in October. Oh, I have to look and see yeah. where we're at where we're. I don't have the fall schedule yet for. Uh, I know where our date is next year. I don't have the fall schedule for uh, for the tour yet. A quick break. It is no secret. It is major championship week, and there is no better way to join the action than with the DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Golf's technically the first major of the new season. I don't feel right saying that. It kind of all feels like one season. But the DraftKings Sportsbook is offering special odds and promotion all weekend long. And all new users get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. You've heard us talk a lot about the reliability of the DraftKings Sportsbook and how how much money we've wasted on janky-ass uh, little sports betting websites over the years. It's an American-made sportsbook supporting American-made golfers. Doubling your winnings if any American wins this weekend. How about that? Dustin Johnson, you have to like your chances uh, if you put a bet on somebody like him. Head to the app right now. Check out all that they have to offer, including player props, day-by-day action, even hole-by-hole live betting. And if golf isn't for you, the DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotion all weekend long for football, basketball, so much more. Safe, secure, and reliable. I can't describe how important that is for a sports betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Again, they don't make you jump through hoops to get your money back. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code NLU when you sign up for a limited time. All new users get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Just enter code NLU when you sign up. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Let's get back to Jim Furyk. So we're recording this before the Tour Championship is played this coming weekend, but we're releasing it as uh, we roll into U.S. Open week. Your U.S. Open record is insane. Obviously, the win in 2003, runner-up in 06, 07, and 16, and three other top fives. Uh, one of those was uh, like a, a re- another great run at an Olympic. Simple question, why were you so good at U.S. Opens? I think when, when you think of a U.S. Open, and maybe not the last five to six years, but when you think of a U.S. Open historically, you think of kind of punishing golf, one that tests not only your skill but your patience. 
you're going to get upset. You're going to get some bad breaks. You're going to feel like it's unfair at times. And the folks that handle those situations the best do do the you know play well. But you know it was it was always about putting the ball in the fairway, keeping the ball in front of you, having to get it up and down once in a while. I grew up in kind of in the Northeast. I grew up playing you know bank grass, Poe, rough. Um, greens where you could, you know, when in doubt, put it right in front of the green or in the middle of the green. You could, you'd always have a pretty decent putt. That's kind of U.S. Open golf. It's, it's, it's what I grew up on. Just a, a little bit more severe test. You know, I, I kind of grew up in between. Didn't get to play them, but Oakmont and Marion. So, you know, that was my idea of U.S. Open golf. And it's just, I think that's the way my game was built. You know, it was built for not making a lot of mistakes, always keeping it in front of you, and you know, even pars a good score, and you could shoot. You know, one of those U.S. Opens, I think at Oakmont, I finished second. I think I, I opened up with 76. And you know you're behind the eight ball, but you know if you can play even par the rest of the way in or under par the rest of the way in, you've got a chance. And that's kind of what I did. I think I shot maybe one under the rest of the way, finished, you know, plus five, and I lost the tournament by one. So it just – when I look at all the majors, early on I hit the ball kind of flat low, didn't mind playing in the wind. The British Open wasn't, wasn't too far off for me. The Masters I had to kind of transform my game to – to um to compete there um you know the pga it kind of changes with golf courses it, it it doesn't maybe throughout my career didn't have that one identity sure um but if you look at the three that have that identity i think the u.s open kind of lent itself to my game the best and it's the one i probably got most excited about is it weird to not be teeing it up at wingfoot this year it's the first one that i haven't played since uh it's actually only the second one in my career i haven't played and it's my rookie year, I qualified for Oakmont in 94. I missed qualifying for Shinnecock in 95, and I've been exempt uh, since 96 until now, and then didn't have the opportunity to qualify, which was uh, – which, which Would you have qualified? Tried to I qualify? probably would have tried. Yeah. Just, just, I mean, it's it's hard not to. And uh, I've had a good record at Wingfoot. It's like it's going to be long. It's going to be punishing. Uh, I think we're going to see a narrow golf course again, and I, I really hope we do. I think – in my opinion, in order to win a U.S. Open, you need to hit the fairway. Um, that that's that's the identity, and uh, I don't think we've seen that as much. Uh, we didn't really see that at uh, you know maybe four of the last six where the fairway wasn't as important or the fairways got a little bit wider, and it's just changed. And and not that they were bad events, and definitely no offense to the guys that won them. They went out there and played the best. But man, I you know being a U.S. Open champion, I feel like you know U.S. Curtis Strange. You go back in time, if you know if we could ask Ben Hogan, I think he would kind of say getting the ball in the fairway is uh, is part of winning a U.S. Open. Is it my least favorite combination though? Is long and narrow. Like I think that does not do you any kind of favors. If the golf course is medium length, I think that and narrow, I think that that is the most neutral kind of setup. I I like. When it's firm, I like wide. I think it's can be a lot more interesting. I think when you're playing a PGA Tour event, I like the word neutral, right? You're not trying to say that you have to be one type of player to be dominant or mm. – well, dominant you probably do. But in order to make a living and make a good living and win golf tournaments, you shouldn't just be one type of player, right? It, it, there should be some neutral setups, and I think there are. There's enough golf courses, as I mentioned, the Colonials, the Valspars, the Rivieras, the – you know, Harbor Towns, there's a bunch, and I'm just naming a few right off the top of my head. There's a bunch of great Hartford, a uh, bunch of places that you can play, and you don't have to be a bomber. But the U.S. Open's had an identity for 100 years, and 
I guess Pebble last year was kind of an interesting setup, right? The long holes, number 10, they jacked that tee way back back there, and then they made the fairway extremely wide. Uh, but then a hole like number four, that's a real short hole, was extremely narrow. So they, the width of the fairway kind of went along with the length of the hole. It, it was very interesting. I've never seen that before. Uh, you know, years ago they tried, you know, they kind of had the graduated rough the last time we went to Wingfoot. The farther you hit it out of the fairway, the higher the rough got, and the gallery ropes were kind of pushed back. So you, you would rarely get in that trampled area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, if, if guys are hitting it that far, and uh, the golf courses are going to be longer. I, I still don't have a problem with narrow. I still think there's a premium. There should be a premium to put the ball in the fairway, and I think there should be at the U.S. Open for sure, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if the courses are long because guys are hitting it long, so so be it. I, I do. I guess I have Beth Page, you know, burned in my memory of 2019 of it being super long and narrow, but narrow to the point that even the shorter hitters weren't able to hit that many fairways. You know what I mean? When it gets so narrow that and this, you're an exception to this rule because you're quite literally one of the most accurate players of the last 20 years. But like I looked at someone like Jordan Spieth, and I'm like, okay, he doesn't have a shot on this golf course because he doesn't hit it long enough and straight enough. You know what I mean? That's a theory I've never thought of. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, there's a possibility. You're saying Brooks hits it so far that he could hit wedge to eight iron for the rough or someone's a mid-length hitting five iron they've got no chance to beat him exactly. i mean that's that's really the old nicholas theory you know what you hit seven iron from the fairway i'll hit wedge from rough and i'm gonna whip you and he did you know and, and then when he got the lead he'd go back and put his hand on his three wood or his two iron and he'd just fairway green fairway green basically what tiger did to everyone yeah. his entire career right get a lead with a driver and then best ball striker and he'd go out and just fairway green you to death with three woods and two irons off the tee um I, it's a tough balance to it's, strike. It's, it's a tough balance. It really is. Um, I, I guess my only point, and, and again, I, I definitely I'm not here to you know stand and say it the way it is. I think we we should all have opinions, and the folks listening, it's just my opinion, which yeah. right or wrong doesn't really matter. But my opinion, if you're asking, is that U.S. Open means you got to get the ball in the fairway. So make it a premium, and I think that's a U.S. Open winner. I think when it's firm, like so much of this goes out the window, right? Because the shorter hitters can can hang with the longer hitters a, l- a lot better with the balls rolling out, and it becomes less emphasis. And, and that's one I mean? of the things about Beth Page. It's yeah. it's it's damp there exactly. a lot. It's kind of cool, damp. Uh, that Long Island, uh, you don't get that real firm golf course feel uh, there. It's a wonderful golf course, but uh, yeah. And and unless it rains, you know, go back to Congressional, which is a very difficult, hard golf course but Rory tore it up but it had rained so much and the golf course was soft and when that happens these guys throw darts so you're right U.S. Open I'm not saying the fairways have to be 25 yards wide but uh, uh, you know we've seen some 40 plus yard wide fairways in U.S. Open it's just it's just a rare look yeah. and I think uh, from what I hear we're going to see Wingfoot kind of thinned out you know it's going to be a little bit narrower and I, I think it's a phenomenal golf course it's that uh old tilling has bunkers they're they're ominous they're you know you, you look at some of those greens and you see the the big white flash and they're intimidating mm-hmm. and uh tough place to play yeah so ironically the the u.s open that you won was one of the easier not easier setups you were there's only a couple guys under par but it was terribly rem- terribly easy i think there's two or three guys that broke par. well you were like 11 under at one point which was a record i think to that point but uh, what do you remember about, uh, I guess we just saw Olympia this past week at the BMW Championship. Did that look a little different uh, on TV this time around, how tough that was? It played? did. It looks like they lengthened it out some. 
we saw some extremely good scoring conditions for the U.S. Open that I won. So uh, records were set Thursday and Friday. Uh, the wind, the breeze came from a totally different direction, a much easier breeze. We had overcast skies. Fairways and greens weren't firming up. That all changed on the weekend. Yeah. Water got sucked out of the greens. Breeze changed direction, and all of a sudden you had a uh, extremely uh, tough golf course. And and that happened a lot. That happened uh, the year Phil and Retief battled at Shinnecock. Was that uh, 04? Yep. We broke scoring records on Thursday and Friday there as well. And then you know the golf course was a borderline unplayable on on Sunday. But Saturday Sunday was extremely difficult. The scores those two shot uh, under those conditions were some of the best golf I've ever seen played. So you won it at eight under. Stephen Leaney was the only other guy that was within seven shots of you. I mean, yeah. did, were you in complete control that whole week, or? I was playing extremely well going into that uh, golf tournament. Came coming off three top tens, felt really good about my game, was putting well, really felt good about my golf swing. I mean, I, I had my week off. I was kind of licking my chops, like, what, what do I need to do to get ready for this golf course? And had never played Olympia Fields. And I was putting with this putter at the time that was deemed illegal in my week off. So I went to the U.S. Open – I didn't actually have a – I didn't really have a putter with me, to Whoa. be honest with you. I mean, I had a putter in my bag, but it was something I didn't want to play. Why was it illegal? So, at the time, it it was a um, it was a double bend shaft, so it was face-balanced. You know, Odyssey would call it a, a one, you know, a ping answer, a, you, know, okay. a, you know, kind of type of head. But it had this aluminum attachment on the back that kind of screwed on, and it had a long line. So, it kind of made like a, you know, a big – it was a, basically an aiming device mm-hmm. on the back. And at the time, the, the USGA deemed that you couldn't add uh, an attachment to a putter solely for aiming. Like if there was another reason for it, like if you wanted to back weight the putter or if you wanted to – and it was made of aluminum, so there's nothing you could really say by weighting because it was light. Sure. And it was there solely for, for alignment. So they deemed that that putter was illegal, so I wasn't allowed to play it that week. And I kind of had a chip on my shoulder. I was a little bit – uh, pissed off about that that it you know this putter because it, it didn't seem to make make a lot of sense but I kept my mouth shut I pulled the shaft out of that putter and put it in another one that had a long line just no attachment hmm. on it a mallet putter and uh, and kind of worked on that putter the loft the lie and every day was making a tweak here and there and I mean like a tweak I was driving driving my tour rep absolutely nuts i was like bend it a quarter degree upright or it, like it really was going to matter that much but i i had this you're a tinkerer i was tinkering with this putter tremendously and uh I putted beautifully that week and i think i had a bit of chip in my shoulder too yeah. uh, i got off to a rough start couple over after the first nine and and then i think i shot five under and uh played a great friday round and got myself in contention so well what's it like to you win a major is you know you're pretty much in the prime of your career i think it's safe to say in 2000 2003 is that fair to say yeah i felt so so you is that a weight off your shoulders is it just like i'm trying to trying to understand what how to place majors in people's careers right because and i kind of want to lead this into you have some so many close calls afterward oh, yeah. is it easier to go through the close calls after having won one i i just kind of i, I want to place it along that timeline i don't think it's ever easy i mean i had some close calls in 98 uh both at the masters and the british i had you know, some good opportunities. I think for me, it's funny, the feeling when I won was probably for the first hour, it was probably more relief. You know, put so much pressure on myself. You sit on that tea time, it's at two or three o'clock. 
I walked into the players dining, kind of sat off into the corner and there was a TV above my head. And usually like in the morning or in an afternoon round, I'll, I'll watch TV. Uh, I would love to have the sound off, but I'll watch TV just to see where the pins are. Maybe I'll see a couple shots. Maybe I'll pick something up on television that, uh, that might help during the round. They usually it's only for 15 or 30 minutes, but I sat under the TV. I didn't want to, I just didn't want to watch. I didn't want to think about it. And the sound was on, like someone flipped the sound on, and I was underneath it. And I heard, I'll never forget this. Johnny Miller talked about, he talked about me having the lead. I had a three or four shot lead, and the words out of his mouth were, "It's Jim Furyk's tournament to lose." <laughs> and I like about spit my food out. Like I started laughing. I was like, "God, it could, I couldn't if I tried to think of a worse thing to think about during the day. I couldn't have come up with anything worse <laughs> than it's my tournament to lose." And it was kind of almost a good thing to hear because. I went, well, I got two ways to look at it, but the way I should be looking at this is it's my tournament to win. I mean, I, I've got a three or four shot lead. I can shoot three shots worse than the rest of the field and still and still win the golf tournament. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. So to kind of come down and have that nice cozy walk down 18 and and kind of have the sigh of relief was uh, was a lot of fun. I haven't had, had that opportunity much in my career. And now maybe looking back, it makes the near misses probably a little a little easier to swallow. But at the time there's a few of those events that were very difficult to swallow and, and, uh, and still a few of them really sting, to be honest with you, events that I feel like I should have won. Is there, is there one or two that stick out the most or the, the one that you kind of keeps you up at night still? Nothing keeps me up at night. I'm pretty good at putting stuff behind me and moving on. Uh, sometimes that takes a day or two. Sometimes it takes a couple weeks, but usually when you step back on the course the next time, I always felt like I had to put it behind me before I went out to play again. I guess from an emotional standpoint, uh, the two near misses at Oakmont, and I'll say the one real near miss was when Cabrera won. I finished second to DJ, but DJ won that golf tournament. You know, it, it would have been a shame if he hadn't. Actually, with what with uh, all the ruling stuff, but being from Pennsylvania, my mom and dad are from Pittsburgh. My grandmother died, and in, in the rest there's a resting home right at the 18th fairway there, and and she died in that home. So there's my family's got a huge history in Pittsburgh, and I felt so much support from Pittsburgh fans so emotionally those were probably the most draining uh, there's a picture of me kind of with my my hand over my heart kind of mm-hmm. walking off 18 and just you don't get that much in your career so it's pretty cool I had it here at the players uh last year in 19 um so that's pretty cool but um probably the uh Olympic club burns my ass Wingfoot, the year Ogilvy won kind of burned my ass a little bit but that one was a little easier to swallow because that was a unique situation that was kind of phil and collins tournament to win and you know i had kind of the same putt ogilvy did and he made it um i didn't he won the golf tournament that was a little easier to stomach but uh probably the, Olymp- probably the olympic club sorry when you're lining up that putt on the 72nd hole at wingfoot are you thinking no. that there's a possibility that no. this is to win no. no because i was still i thought i had to birdie that hole to have a chance to either win or get in a playoff you gave and it max effort, of course. I gave it, it max yeah. effort. I tried to make the putt. It didn't go in. I was bummed. I thought it was going to probably, you know, cost me. Maybe I'd finish third instead of second or whatever it may be, or fourth instead of second or third. Um, you know, you're always trying to make it. But then when I f- saw what happened, you're like, you know, I'm driving to the airport just in days, like trying to figure out what, what just happened. Like, you know, I make par and I'm in a playoff tomorrow. So disappointing, but part of it. Was it that difficult that day? I mean, those guys, obviously, the, the drama that unfolded was is well documented and the scores were high. It was kind of take us to what the playing that golf course is like under U.S. Open pressure. It's long and it's hard and difficult. 
Did I say long again? I think yeah. you mentioned that. I, I think I got that. <laughs> it's just, and then it was set up in, in, in U.S. Open fashion. It was, you have to get the ball on the fairway. You have to get the ball on the green. Limit your mistakes. Um, but if, if you put, Colin and Phil are such good players. If you put them in that situation again, there's no, I mean, put them in that situation. That situation unfolds 20 times. There's no yeah. way one of them isn't in a playoff. Like right. That was a one out of. 20 at best Mm -hmm. couldn't couldn't have put money on that for that to happen uh transitioning a bit here so when i mentioned the 2018 Ryder cup is it immediately is it a happy memory uh catch 22 i mean i i loved i loved the process i loved all the work and the hundreds of hours that my wife and i put into it and it comes to fruition and i loved the 12 guys i had and the way it looked and that'll always be my team Uh, they most of them still call me Cap. When I look at it, the result, I mean, the result stings. I mean, oh, forever. There's losses uh, that you said will haunt you forever. I mean, that's the one that I'll never – I won't get over that. But, mm. you know, I can tee it up in a tournament and go play. But I'd be lying if I said it's my favorite event. It's it's probably the, the mark on my career that bothers me the most is I've been involved with so many Ryder Cups. Right? I've been, I think, involved with 11. I played in – I might have been involved with more, maybe 12. We've won. Uh, I played on nine teams, so I guess I'm involved with my 12th now as an assistant for And you were assistant in 16 as For well. Davis. Yeah, that's right. So uh, so I'm involved now in my 12th. But, you know, 11 events and we're 3-8. and eight. And so I look at it that way where, um, you know, 16 was so much fun for me just to watch those guys play so well and, and pretty much dominate from start to finish. And, and – uh, and bring home the cup and I was just so proud of him and so happy for Davis because you know quite honestly we shit the bed at Medina and and uh it's something that shouldn't happen you know I felt bad for Davis as a player I you know looking back and and, and a dear friend and so to see him do uh a great job and then the guys go out and respond and play so well I was just proud of the team and, and happy for Davis as a captain you know to have that scenario kind of flipped and and uh we got you know, we got off to a good start, but then got behind the eight ball in that second and third session. And I look at it, I'm sure there's guys out there that said, uh, you know, we wish we would have played better. I wish I would have made some, you know, I guess the, the funniest comment, and, and I, funny is a bad word, but the comment that surprises me, it shocks me the most, is I've had a handful of people come up and say, you know, if you got to do it all over again, would you do something different? And I almost laugh. I'm like, well, what arrogant asshole would – have the event go the wrong way and then say, nope, I'd do everything the same way. <laughs> like, how, I mean, of course I'd do things differently, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty, and of sure. course I'd go back and change. At the time, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my vice captains, I'm looking at uh, a stats team, I'm looking at a lot of different things and having, I'm the CEO, I'm the one that's got to pull the trigger and make the decisions, and, and I thought we were doing the right thing, you know, and would I change? Absolutely. Well, I think we all would, if, if, that, if that made sense. Top to bottom, and that's part of it. So does it bother me? It always will. Yeah. But uh, the whole process itself, uh, it's something that I, I, I always wanted to do. Uh, you know, after I played in like maybe two or three of those Ryder Cups, you're like, oh, man, would it it would just be cool if I got the opportunity to lead and, and uh, be a captain of this team. And then after you play on, you know, six, seven teams, I'm thinking, you know, it's probably it's probably will will come to fruition. It could be an opportunity someday. And you just kind of wait your turn. And I was kind of thankful that I – I mean, everyone wants a home game, but we're going to go over there and we're going to win, and we're gonna, on foreign soil, and we're going. I firmly believe we're going to turn this around. 
Uh, and in order to do that, we have to win on foreign soil. I really wanted to be uh, part of the team. I wanted to be the captain of the team that did that. It didn't come to fruition, but it, it will. And uh, hopefully I'll be traveling over there and maybe I'll be having a cocktail with Curtis and Ben and, and uh, I'll have a big smile on my face when it happens. Hmm. Well, I, golf fans, I, I would definitely say armchair quarterback the most with the Ryder Cup, more so than any other, maybe any other events combined. You have combined. never seen me watch a football game, particularly <laughs> the Steelers. Well, I'm saying of all golf events, like that, that, <laughs> okay. that is the one that they armchair the most. And well, yeah, because there's strategy involved, there's teams involved, there's a way you put your order out, there's there's a lot involved in it, so it's easy to armchair. Well, that's what I, I just was wondering if you it's a weird way of asking this but is it any easier losing as bad as you did because like the team just flat out did not play good enough golf i don't know what you can do about tiger going zero and four coming off the tour championship bryson went zero and three dj a guy you're leaning on a ton went one and four sure you like in you know you in theory you could have paired them differently and maybe they would have played better blah 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 but i don't know how you I'm asking this in the way like, are you beat? Do you beat yourself up over anything here? Because I don't see anything glaring that if you wanted to nitpick, it would be like, all right, Phil probably wasn't a great fit for that golf course, but Phil probably wanted to be on that team, and that was probably a pretty easy decision, I would think, to put him on the team. But that's the only one that, with hindsight, that yeah. I would say a lot of that was he, he actually was playing pretty decent on yeah. the way in there. Uh, did not play well right after we picked him. Uh, didn't play very well leading in, but wanted some experience on the team. Going, you know, uh, going to Europe and. You know, one of the coolest moments for me at that event was walking to the first tee on Friday morning for the first match, and they built that giant amphitheater. And you, we as players and captains would come in from the top and yeah. walk down the steps, and I got relentlessly booed down the steps, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> That uh, no, the British fan, the, the European fans say they I never boo it. the Americans. I loved it. It was <laughs> awesome, and it's funny how many players and captains from the european side said uh, you know like we're so sorry that happened and i said for what reason like that's oh, part of it that's what sport it, it wasn't like a i think they meant it in a friendly way sure. i mean like it, it, I, don't, I hate to say that but like you know it wasn't a you know it wasn't like going to new york and getting called a bum it was you know like we're rooting against you all week here it comes and i was like we're ready that's you know? part of the so Ryder cup it was fun i waved i smiled thumbs up I, that was pretty cool yeah. I, I enjoyed that part of it but I understand the armchair quarterbacking. You know, I, I watch uh, – I'm a giant sports fan. I watch a Steeler game. It's, you know, third and one, and all of a sudden we're going five wide, and, you know, and, and you're looking at it and going, what in the hell are we – you know, just give it to the big guy and let's turn it out for a yard and a half. And if you can't get it, you can't get it. But, I mean, like, you know, what are we doing with five wide? And then all of a sudden no one's open or he makes a quick pass, and it's tipped or whatever, and you're, you're done, and you're like, all right, what – yeah, I make it. You know, what don't I know? Hey, the fullback's hurt. He's over there dinged up with a knee, and you know, there's things that that I don't know as well. And I'm not saying the fans out there don't, but it's you know, you, you do the best you can. You make the decisions you make. Uh, I have to live with them, right? And and folks are going to criticize them. That's part of my job. I mean, as, as a Ryder Cup captain, one thing you always have to know: you deserve very little of the credit when you win. You're going to get none, and you really don't deserve much of it and you're going to take most of the blame on a loss and i'm totally fine with that that's that's part i i do a lot of work and get ready and and uh put those guys out there and give them every opportunity to succeed and you know would i change things sure but uh you know when we look back at it 
I have good memories because I love I love those guys. I remember you saying too the trip the trip was great. The outside of uh, didn't you guys spend some time in France outside of the? Uh, we really didn't have. You just okay. don't have that much of an opportunity, especially coming off the the, the tour championship. Yeah. So you arrive Monday. You want to get these guys out there to practice a little Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday's a half day with opening ceremonies, and then you're right into it. I what I really wanted was uh, I had played that golf course a bunch. Uh, I knew how it would be set up. It was going to be set up just like it was at the French Open. I knew how difficult it was. I knew it was a place you had to get the ball in play. I, I, I tried, you know, I, I tried to uh, give the guys as much information as I could about the course before we got there. It's just so hard to do that, right? You need that experience of playing it and getting around it. And these guys are world class players. You know, you give them two practice rounds, they're good. They're able to pl- to get it around. But you give them fifty rounds around it, like some of those guys have had, and and they know it even a little bit better. And you know that that's part of it. I think the European side has done a very good job uh, with their venues, and so that was a home field advantage. What I mean by that is they have European tour events on the venue they've had a Ryder Cup. We don't do that in the U.S. We pick kind of major championship venues where most of their teams seen the golf course almost as much as we have, mm-hmm. and. That's a mistake I think we've made over the years. Now, the next away Ryder Cup is in Italy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they've yet it's, – it's fallen behind. I think politics, uh, for reasons the golf course isn't ready. They're supposed to play an Italian Open there. They may get one before we play the Ryder Cup. It'll be a good opportunity for us. It mm-hmm. won't be as much of a home field advantage. It'll be a place where uh, maybe a little bit – now, will they still set the golf course up to favor – their style of play and the guys on their team absolutely and for those folks that say that's not fair i don't know man i kind of like it i kind of like the fact that i mean you can't change anything once monday morning rolls around but if, if we've got a long you know wild team and we set the golf course up you know a little bit more open and you know we like firm fast greens in the u.s and they like slow greens in europe or at least they're more they're more used to playing on greens that roll 10 10 and a half yeah. um than, than we are um, you set it up to where your guys maybe have a, a slight bit of advantage. That's, that's, that's sports. What Can you shine any light on the Patrick Reed situation and how that really unfolded? Where he seemed to think that he and Jordan were going to play together. Was he ever told that? Why didn't they play together? How did that all you know, unfold yeah, and were you disappointed in that? How that no, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. I said it last year and kind of after the Ryder Cup. Patrick was fully aware that he was playing with Tiger. I think the options were there for, for Jordan. Uh, JT was kind of in that same group of players but JT was going to wheel more around Tiger or more around Jordan Patrick was going to play with either Jordan or Tiger Tiger's a tough guy to play with to be honest with you he's a tough guy to partner with JT's done a very good job of it but you go back in the history and the guys that have played with him haven't played very well with him to be honest with you and Patrick and Tiger had a very good relationship in past Ryder Cups that was kind of his vice captain a guy that he enjoyed having Ryder Cups President's Cups he's a guy that he enjoyed having kind of his hero be his captain and a guy that got him pumped up to play and he knew going in that he was starting with Tiger and playing you know he knew things could change I'm imagining that a lot of his you know being just upset just just being upset about the way we all played the way things went down the fact that we lost is is a lot of it you know a lot of frustration and and uh but knowing going in I think that absolutely 100% he knew how that pairing was coming have you guys had any communication since all that went down and I, no apologies or we anything? haven't talked no. about the Ryder Cup at all when I see him I say hello uh say hi to Kessler see how he's doing but uh no say hello uh we're polite uh you know we're friendly with each other hmm. 
to sidetrack here for a second, just because you mentioned Tiger's a hard guy to play with. You've played with him in team events. Why is he a hard guy to play with? It's hard to step in his shoes. I mean, you know, it's like living in Michael Jordan's shoes for a day. It's it's. Uh, I think it's you know when I had Tiger as a partner, I loved having the best player in the world as my partner. I mean, there was stuff that shots he hit, things that he did as my partner, that I just got like a sly grin on my face, looking at the other two guys, going, "There ain't a chance in hell you can do that." Like I know you can't do it. You know you can't do it. I can't do it either because I can't either. <laughs> and you know, and that and that's my partner, by the way. Um, but you also step into that microscope. Like everything he does from the moment he steps on the property to the moment he steps off is scrutinized. I mean, if you want to go on social media and follow his every step, you can do it. His every shot, his, and everything he does is scrutinized. And so just, just to be putting it, none of us really go through that. None of us are the Beatles, you know, uh, and have that wow factor. So I just think there's a, there's an added attention and added pressure. And I think, uh, maybe not as much from the outside. I think guys, you, you hear it time and time again where guys say, I know people are putting pressure on me to play well, but no one can put more pressure on me than, than myself. And I think they just they just try so damn hard to uh, because of that situation. And I always kind of thought it would be cool to play with Tiger and get paired with him. And we played on like eight teams together before Nicholas put us together. And Jack put us together. I was hurt. I was injured. And I was kind of asking – I said, yeah, you might want to sit me. I have a rib injury. I'm not playing very well. And, and he said, I need you. You're going out with Tiger. And I went, oh, great. <laughs> like, I got the whole world watching. I'm hitting it terrible. I'm in pain. And, okay, here we go. Um, and so our first match together, I barely helped Tiger for an entire day. The worst he would have been through 16 is one up on his own ball against the team we played <laughs> in the President's Cup. He made me put out on a par five on the back because I had like a four footer and he had like a tap in and he marked it to let me make the four. I was so nervous <laughs> over the four footer that I'd miss because he already had a tap in. And then uh, we get to 16 and uh, I birdied the 16th hole to win the match three and two. And it was like really the only – I might have helped him another hole. It depends. And uh, we win the match. And, of course, I was teasing the guys. And, and like at the time, Tiger's four ball record was like 0-8, which is pretty much impossible. And I walked in the team room trying to be a little bit of a smart ass and just said, man, I don't really get what's so hard about playing with him in four ball. I mean, you know, I could have ridden in a cart today and we were one up through 16. What is wrong with you people? I mean, like, how can you not win with this guy? And they're throwing shit at me and, you know, <laughs> giving me a hard time. But I think just stepping in his shoes for a day, it, it's, I don't want to give you the woe is me. I mean. It's got to be hard to be yourself. Yeah, but you, you know, like you can't ask or, or get all that notoriety and expect there not to be some sort of uh, I don't know what the right just word the reality is, of the but situation. it's the reality of the situation is there's just going to be a lot of attention and and most folks just aren't used to getting that now are there you know Phil maybe a little bit you know maybe Rory takes a little bit of that or but Tiger's still Tiger I mean he's still A1 uh, when he steps on the property everyone else takes a one notch down and takes a back seat back to uh, 18 with the, the the last bit of drama I think that unfolded with was with DJ and Kepka. I still don't know what happened there. Did, I don't either. Really? Yeah, I mean, may I be struck by lightning this second? I still don't have any idea what happened. And I honestly, if you'd asked me in the last, I mean, until two, three weeks ago, did they seem to have a riff now or something? Is it coming up? I, 
I don't know exactly what it is, but it's they've downplayed their friendship publicly lately, or Brooks has, I guess, to say like, yeah, we we like there was a I, I didn't hear it, but was there a comment or something at the PGA at Harding well, Park? Or after Brooks walked off the course, he kind of looked at the leaderboard and kind of was like, yeah, I see a lot of names up there. Like a lot of those guys haven't won one. I, I mean, I guess DJ has won, but I've every time I've been in this situation, they were together all night uh, on Sunday. There was when we left the Ryder Cup, there was nothing wrong between the two of them. Really? I mean, yeah, that, far as I knew, I honestly may I be struck by lightning. I. I've been, always thought they were just boys and kind of brothers, and if there was a quarrel, it was like a brotherly type thing. It yeah. wasn't a uh, something they were going to drag out. Was the party at least fun that night? How do you? How do, what's a celebration like when your your team loses? Yeah, I've seen some as a Ryder Cup player where you know where we had a. It's just a stress relief, you know, yeah. like you you put so much pressure on yourself the entire week. There's a build up and expectation, and. The guys will let loose a little bit and try to have some fun. Uh, it was different as a captain. I felt uh, just a need to talk to everyone. Like the the you know the families were there. I talked to Brooks's mom and dad a lot after after Sunday and and kind of got to know some of the the families and people in our team. And you know obviously uh, I, I felt bad. You know I felt bad for the way it ended and and uh, and such. But as a captain, it wasn't the same as a player. It was more. Uh, kind of reaching out to all the, our whole group or our whole unit over 100 people that were there kind of u.s and that that you know we had access to, to to kind of finally see after the week so kind of reaching out to those folks and the caddies and their wives and so i just kind of felt a need to kind of just thank everyone for being there and the support and and uh and such well, as we go to wrap here, I'm going to lean on a couple questions on uh, just some things I've picked your. I may have, I may be cheating on some of these. Some of these things I've picked your brain. Can we talk on about before. a little more fun. I mean, what do you? Sure, damn, can... like I'm like <laughs> over here reliving bad moments and times, and I'm going to cry here in a little oh, wait, bit. Wait, I asked you now. about winning the U.S. Open. Is that not a happy moment? It was. 17 wins in your career. Is that right? Uh, on the PGA Tour. On yes. the PGA Tour. Uh, did you ever? Uh, I, I guess. What was the? How do you compare pressure? Uh, I asked you this earlier today, but comparing pressure to like competing for the FedEx Cup, you won the FedEx Cup. Comparing that to competing in a major championship, U.S. Open, how does that? Can you differentiate the two? Is there are they kind of the same wavelength? In two different times in my career, I probably put more pressure on myself to win the major championship. So I I would say I had three years in my career that really stick out as like the best three years. And one was 03 when I won the U.S. Open. I also won actually at Warwick Hills where I just won the Champions Tour event. I won So I won twice that year. 06, I had a great year uh, where I want to say I was ranked like number two in the world for over, over 12 months. There was some guy, Tiger, that was way, 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 way out ahead. I think like my – denominator was like six and his was like 18 but you know <laughs> and I played super for a, a really long span in that 06 range and then in 2010 I had a great year where I won three times and I ended up being kind of player of the year and that was the FedEx Cup and honestly when I was playing that tournament again putting a lot of pressure on myself we were leaving for the Ryder Cup right after that event ended long rain delay I had to sit in the clubhouse for a couple hours and think about it and look at the scoreboard and I kind of knew that you know if I won the event I'd most likely win the FedEx Cup I'd most likely be the player of the year and it was a, a lot of things that I kind of dreamed of doing I was 40 years old I didn't think the window was closing by any means but I knew that it wasn't gonna last forever as well and and uh put a lot of pressure on myself during that that week now was it the U.S. Open major championship 
probably not, but I probably was also a little older, a little wiser, a little bit more grounded, probably had a little different priorities in life as well. So I probably didn't put as much pressure on myself. You know, the way that I think the way the FedEx Cup is positioned now, so you, you had the win the golf tournament and win the FedEx Cup. Now, you know, we're, we're starting everyone at a different score and they're really only playing for one prize. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to add more pressure to the players this way. For sure. That makes sense. For sure. I was just curious if there was a amount of money that you're playing for that makes a, a difference pressure wise. Is it you know, I still I still hear a lot of guys saying that, you know, you want to win like the player of the year on the PGA Tour. Like that's winning the FedEx Cup is more focused on that, or is it enough money there that it's kind of like really hard to ignore? The one thing with the guys that are winning the FedEx Cup, I mean like for Rory it's it's definitely about cementing his place in history. Yeah. You know, Rory's got money. And not that no one else wants to win an extra $10 million, Don't get me wrong, but he's not going to miss it either, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know how to say that right without it going right. out right. Uh, you know, for, for other other players, that's that's a big deal, and it causes a lot more stress. Um, the one thing about the new format that I really like is that there's some things I don't like, there's some things I do, but the new format, it will cause more pressure. It all basically boils down to you're only dealing with FedEx Cup at that point and uh, and trying to win that, basically to put your name on that trophy, cement yourself in history. And as time goes on, right, being the FedEx Cup champion is going to become more and more and more and more important, if that makes sense. It's yeah. going to have a lot more notoriety. Mm-hmm. Is it weird at all to go through life with your – I guess on course earnings being so public, is that weird at all? I thought it was really strange when I was like in my I don't know fifth or sixth year on tour, and I passed Jack Nicholas on the all time career money list. That was really strange. That was weird and awful, and you know just didn't feel right. It felt dirty all at once. You know, it's all relative to the time you play, sure. and you know it is what it is. Yeah. I, you know, I uh, I honestly I never played for money in my career. I've finished events and I there's always a purse breakdown in the scoring trailer and it said, you know, what 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 did that what did that 8 footer on the last hole cost me? I'm like, yeah, I probably would have made an extra 50 grand or something, but you know, that pisses you off, but at the end of the day, I'm not I've never played for cash, if that made sense. I'm yep. trying to win tournaments and if I'm sitting on the last hole with a 5 iron in my hand and the pin's back right over water and I have to make birdie, I'm taking that 5 iron at the pin. And if I make double, I make double. Um, but you're trying to win the golf tournament. Yep. And uh, I can live with the rest at the end. It's funny how you guys view – you were talking about what we were playing today, how, how painful a $20,000 fine would be, yet that's money coming out of your wallet versus if you miss a putt for 50K, it doesn't bother you nearly as much. Totally different. Yeah. Playing for – Playing for money on tour, guys. Guys still get nervous. Don't sure. get me wrong, but uh, it's funny how there are a lot of guys that can't. They don't like to play for money out of their pocket. Yes, playing a hundred dollar Nassau drives them crazy because it's money coming out rather than the other. All, the only thing they see on the other way is it's coming in. There's exactly. just like this flow coming in, and they, if they leave some out, it's it doesn't bother them as much as actually pulling it out of their pocket and giving it. And other guys. You know, I, I think everyone that watches your show is aware of who are the guys that like to gamble on Tuesday. Um, there's no gambling at Bushwood, but if there were, you guys know who that would be. Is it weird, uh, you know, when like we're playing with mini tour guys out here and you take money off them? Is that a weird feeling? Like you and I, when we won that one day and Joe shot 61, that, that felt a little... <laughs> well, to take money off of a guy who shoots 61 just feels <laughs> awful. I had... I had a partner that really negotiated himself well and then also played a great day. Uh, it was you. Birdied every par five with a shot. But to your benefit, I mean, you're playing with, with me and uh, 
two guys that play mini tour events that are really solid players and we're giving you three shots are you kidding me i mean that's and you, you're holding your own every time i play with you you play great so um it's you fun. know i don't want to lift your ego too no, much no, no, on no. the show no. but i have to be honest because you play great people are going to turn it off and it's time anyways i promised you an hour so thank you very much for, so I, for I, coming. Knew, I knew how to get get out yeah, of here yeah. so i got an appointment <laughs> i gotta get to i knew how to end this quickly be the right club be the right club today Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.